Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Jordan Fermanis, Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing, is it bad writing or is it bad reading? Nick, you're not pretty... You're not particularly good at either. Um, Thanks. Um, I recently read a study just published uh, in March this year um, by Feld, Lines and Ross, um, which was looking at economics papers and uh, which are not famously gripping reads Mm. and asking the extent to which the quality of the writing affects people's judgments about the quality of the scholarship. Yes, is the answer, but keep going. Right, so the, what they did was they, they got 30 PhD papers from various uh, economics PhD people. They gave them to professional editors who were instructed to polish up the language, uh, but not to change any of the contents or conclusions. Yes, yeah, so these like are kind that. of sub-editors, yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. They were called professional. Professional editors, I think, is, is the uh, term. Um they then sent these out to a bunch of hundred or so um, reviewers who each rated every paper on the quality of the paper. So I know that's how good it was, um, how likely they would be to accept it at a conference, uh, how likely they would be to desk reject it, which I think means you reject it without further comments you just the first time you read it you're like no i'm not publishing this in a journal um yeah and how likely they thought it would be to get published and uh the quality of the writing which is obviously touching on the key variable here uh and and so the point is that the ones that had been edited scored more highly on the quality of the writing and more highly across all the other stuff yeah right so uh, apparently, if it had been professionally edited, um, about eight percentage points more people thought they were that something would be accepted for a conference. For it's example, very significant. So, well, yeah, I don't actually know what the baseline is. Unfortunately, I couldn't work that out from what they published. So I don't know if that's eight percent up to sixteen percent or ninety percent up to ninety-eight percent. But I would imagine okay. it's not going to be insignificant. I would imagine, you know what 50 percent papers might be accepted maybe less yeah, yeah so it's you know it's going to be a significant chunk of that they so, wasted their time doing that study because i knew that immediately yeah i mean but yes yeah, sometimes you have to test these things like it might have turned out that actually <laughs> sometimes uh, you need this thing called evidence it's yeah a little, science it's a little con- no. inconvenient no you just need to ask me and i'll tell you okay. well yeah, yeah. it might have been the case that the reviewers would have said um you know yes the quality of writing is higher but it's still as good a paper you know yeah. like actually the quality of the writing doesn't affect the scholarship really they might have said yeah okay it's easier and to that's read what you'd but... hope they'd say you'd hope they'd send it back with comments saying rewrite this mm. the, the the findings are sound they this is exactly what we want to publish but you need to edit the you need to fix the yeah fix the language. So, and this is so this is the question is whether or not it's the job of a scholar say in economics they're not english language students they're not that's not what they're doing they're, they're they're economists is it their job to learn to write better or if you're interested in what an economist has to say is it your job to you know make a bit of effort to try and understand the albeit dense language in which those thoughts are expressed i think, I think both think questions are not quite the right question actually right. Um, but first off, 
just an you know knee-jerk reaction i thought for a moment we were talking about our old friend signaling but i don't think we are we might be mm, because also i think it's about because the person reading it is not necessarily is definitely not consciously thinking um ah oh, this person has got great grammar and therefore i can see they're a, they're a credible mm, person interesting good point i think it's more i think it's more that just naturally if it's naturally more understandable, which is what good grammar and good writing should be, then it will naturally, the message will come through. Yeah, and I think it's probably worth saying that the raters, the people who are rating the papers, I don't think they were told, you know, these have been rewritten, some of these have been rewritten. Yeah. So I don't think they were focusing on them. Right, They exactly. weren't told to focus on the language, particularly other than being mm. asked one question about the quality of the writing. Yeah. So so what you say is entirely fair. Yeah. Like they're not going to be thinking, gosh, this is well written. Right. And it's, it's and so maybe this sort of goes through, and so therefore that's why I'm not sure if the questions are the right questions to answer is, should we be better writers? Should we be better readers? It's more, well, I think it sort of leans to being better writers, but... Um, it's just it's just natural if something is more clearly communicated people will respond to it better anyway fortunately we've got some professional writers here well, uh, we've got one and yeah. then we've got the person who needs the most help right in the company. yes true who's the one who needs the most help me yes obviously. okay i can draw the good pictures though yeah there we go right so yeah well, we'll get on to what the yeah. purpose of the picture is yeah <laughs> right let's hear from jordan Profe- yeah we've just described you as pro- professional writer yeah what do you do jordan what's your because you think... tell us your job what your role is oh yeah okay my role is to research and write at aleph insights um so yeah i do a fair bit of writing um and i think it is I think what you said is correct about it being natural. It's sort of natural and it has to come. But I think as a writer, you do need, the reader needs to be impressed. I think, I think you need to, you know, you can't make it difficult for the read, for the reader. Um, And I think if you make it easy for them, there's a more chance that um, what you're saying will be more convincing. Your evidence, your, your audit trail is clearer um, the points that you're making can be more concise and straightforward. Um, so I think you do the reader a favour by writing clearly. You want to make it easy sure. for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice sort of and it's part of your job to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, to me, I think good writing should be is transparent. You know, it's, it 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 just get it. The writing is the medium by which the information or the the insights that you're trying to get across happens to be in. You don't want the writing to be in the way of that. So it's sort of, it's not much, much impressing the reader. It's impressing upon the reader. It's giving them the least possible friction to yeah. the concepts that you're describing. Okay. So far, so good. I think we're all kind of, we framed something there and I think we kind of all agree on that. Yeah. I think that's a good working definition of what good writing is, good technical writing is. So that being the case, are we saying, therefore, that it is the job of, of an economist or a mathematician or whatever it might be to also be a good writer? Well, I think there are different types of good... Like, I think we need to, deal, to describe what sort of effective writing is, but good writing, different question. So technical writing that we do for, in our reports and things, you can't... You haven't got time or space to explain absolutely everything from first principles in a language that's suitably accessible to everybody, right? It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't wash. It would be. It would look. It would look out of place. It would be too verbose, and it would be too long. Um, so you need. We so we rely on a degree of assumed knowledge. So it might be the term. So we don't define every term that we we use. We kind of assume that the the person we're writing it for is 
familiar with the domain in which we're writing such that we, we don't need to define everything. We've talked about this before in another podcast and it's about um, supplying appropriate levels of information. Yes, so it's appropriate. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's appropriateness, appropriate levels of information. But if, if you gave that document to somebody who was not familiar with that domain, they might say that it's bad writing because you're not defining terms and you're not explaining things from first principles. So I think goodness is quite relative in, in that respect. Well, it is and it isn't, but I mean, I, but let's, let's just keep it to academic papers. Let's just keep well, it actually, to that I'm for gonna, a moment. I don't know if we have to, because I just <clears throat> what, something that Peter was talking about there reminds me of an interesting fallacy that I, I know a lot of people have, which is, you know, my, my dad used, was a journalist and, and his, um, you know, he, he would hang around with other journalists. So I knew journalists quite well. And what people and people often have a talk about tabloid journalists as though they're these slavering morons. What they don't realise is it's the same pool of people who yeah. write for the Times, who yeah. write for the Sun. They just moderate the the style, right? They're perfectly good. And writing for the Sun is really hard. It's no no easier than writing for the Times or the Telegraph. And in some ways, it's harder because actually, you, shorter. You, you've got to, you, yeah. yeah, you've got to get a message over uh, in a more concise way. So I, I you know, I, it's simple. I suppose what I'm saying is simple writing certainly doesn't mean easy to write. You know, it's not easier to communicate mm. simply. Mm. Um, it might be harder. But the question is, I think that's what Peter is saying is, well, actually, is it your job to kind of get the level right? Uh, and if so, how do you go about doing that? OK, um, let's go. Yeah, Jordan. But I still think there needs to be a sort of degree of... Um it can't sort of be like too impenetrable for people. Like there has to be, you have to sort of give the reader a way in, even when it's technical writing, I still think you need to make it interesting for someone to read. It still needs to engage. Yeah, it still needs to engage people. It can't be boring, for example, even if it's a report, it should still sparkle a little bit because all writing is sort of creative in one way or another, even if it's technical mm. subject. Um, I mean, this feels a little bit like sort of my approach to films, you know, which is I, I have to, I get made to make a lot of kind of films that I don't particularly want to make. And lots of people get made in, involved in the process. You mean it's your job to do that? You're, you're, you're not made to do it. <laughs> no, I do mean you that. You get paid to do that. Well, but if, if I had sort of greater freedom, if people bloody listen to me, I would make them a good film. However, lots of people get involved mainly communications people who've got a message that they want to push and you just end up with the most boring video in the world and it's utterly pointless. Is it clapping and ukulele music? And, um, and, and a woman dancing through a field of sunflowers? No, that's a good film. That would be good. No, because it's always, you know, we're making the world a better place oh, I see, something yeah. or other. No, yeah. but yeah, right. Okay. But they always, no, my point is this, is that I think the f first and foremost, doesn't matter what the film is about, what you see, what you hear, that the, the most important thing, whether it's 30 seconds or two hours, is it must be engaging, okay? Forget about messages, forget it. If, because whatever, no matter how good your message is, how, no matter how worthy it is, how well-researched, if people don't engage, if they don't, in this case, if they don't watch it, it's pointless if you lose your audience. What, and what, isn't this the same, is, yeah, it, is it not okay. the same, is it not the same with the writing? the question is, are there some things which you cannot make engaging? I mean, are, is it, like, if you need no. to get some information over to someone, what if the thought is useful but boring? Like, no. Okay, what about a timetable or something? No. Could you make a timetable yes. more engaging? Definitely. And the reason why, I'd be interested to see what Jordan's thoughts on this, because um, 
maybe this is i'll just say it. so it's part of your job as, as as a video producer in my case is 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 you you're, you're meant to be creative you are a creative i don't like that term but that's your job is is to sometimes make the most uninteresting thing interesting and do it in a manner in, in an imaginative way that's the whole point of what you do okay and that's the value that you're adding that's why you do what you do okay um i would disagree that's what you that's the what that's what you're supposed to be doing fraser no yeah, and your bosses might all say but your job is not the end the the, the, no. the, the what you produce no. is not the end in itself the end no. is having got the message into people's heads no so that they, well and part of that behavior. is making it engaging and that's the point that's and, a means to an end no because and also my proof of that is that i get paid to do this this is my job i get continually paid to do this because i do it well and and so so that's so no i i've got the evidence here you don't right so i know what i'm talking about this is my job now if, i know we're not well, i know if we were your talking employer about was a, was yeah, a but, media company and it's measured its success on just amount of stuff it, media it produces then yes that would be the no aim. it's not the aim the aim is to alter the behavior of people who are watching that content and you do that through engagement that is a means to an end yeah, I might be very engaged, but not Actually want to go out it. and buy the product. Okay, but you can't. It's, no, no, no. Hold on. But the question is, is, the question no, is, no, could no, I? No, be, no, it's no. necessary, but not sufficient. For exactly. What you do. This is like being a boxer, for example. Is I often wonder what's the most difficult sport, or no, what's the most important thing about being a boxer? Okay, a successful boxer. And I think, actually, the thing that you cannot get away with not having is a certain base level of fitness, right? Right. Um, things like technique, aggression, um, good strong chin. Punching someone in the face repeatedly you know, is quite a good no, way to no, be a boxer, but I think. Some of those things you can do without, right? But the thing that you cannot do without is that base level of very high fitness, actually. Well, um, I do want to... And I think it's the same with... I, so I'm trying to make the same point, Nick. Because... Yeah, is is that simply because we've been sucked into this paradigm of what marketing is is creating a short piece of media that someone consumes and engages with and feels positive about in some way like would it be possible to have purely informational marketing which was not engaging was perhaps substantially shorter and said our product costs 60 pounds and it gets five stars in which mm. and the answer it's, is and it's like okay that's boring but it yeah. might be equally likely to make me go and buy it than, you know, something which was the ukuleles and clapping people. Yeah, <laughs> I think the answer is no. Um, no what? And I'm wrong. Is, I, I have reinvented your... advertising. Yeah, no. That's and I think that there's a reason why you're an analyst, not a marketer. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I guess a different kind of question is similar. Is, is there a crossover? Is marketing... Um, is a marketing puff piece the same as a bit of research, of weighty research... In, in that they still both have to engage. And by the way, so far we've only talked about the producing side. We've not really addressed the receiver side. This is deeper than I thought, this question. Mm. So we've not talked about the readers yet, but let's hear from Jordan. Well, I think it comes down also to what you consider good versus bad. I mean, because, yeah, there is purely informational writing that just gets a, gets a point across. But I think what this study was trying to show is that there are also there are gradations of of good and bad and we should try to make our work good writing because that will get a higher chance of getting into a conference or being published in a journal or and that these the, the people that are the gatekeepers that that control these things they appreciate good writing 
Yeah. Yeah. So I. But now here's. I'm going to jump into the position of someone I wouldn't normally agree with, which is the sort of hardcore subject matter expertise type person. Okay. I thought you were going to um, say Fraser. Anyway, go on. Um, I used to uh, occasionally like co- coordinate intelligence assessments from various people, but put them into a kind of report. Things like you know looking at strategic risks and that sort of thing. Um. And there was a hard word limit. It was like, look, we need 100 words, right, maximum on this, just summary of that. And they would always say, uh, no, it's too complex. You can't possibly boil down, you know, what's going on in Botswana to 100 words. It is like it's way more complex than that. I'm going to need a whole page. And I, and I was like, look, I don't believe you. But there, prob- there must be some level on which the complexity of a thought cannot be further reduced by shaving away bits of we definitely talked about this before didn't we explaining we did explaining how reduce how how far can you reduce a complex oh uh, well there's that so there's the the idea of sort of irreducible complexity we've done but i but i I suppose what i'm saying is can we apply it here ah and in what way um so i know i know it's not you can't really measure good writing Right, because you can't look at the writing. It's got to be something to do with subjective reaction. But there is a metric called the Flesh Kincaid readability score, mm. which um, effectively is sort of looking at words per sentence and syllables per word, and it's a linear formula of those. Uh, and it tells you, apparently, tells you sort of how complex something is and how old what the reading age of someone would have to be yeah. to understand it yeah so for example the cat sat on the mat mm. is about as simple as it gets and that gets that gets a readability of 116 mm. um but this other example the australian platypus is seemingly a hybrid of a mammal and reptilian creature mm. is 37 but which is relatively low but it's got but, a lot of information in it yeah it's how on earth, but you out you can't get that I would be amazed if you can get that thought. Australian platypus, seemingly a hybrid of a mammal and a reptile, get that thought right without any loss of information. Much higher than that. I mean, that's a really clear thought. Yeah. So, so how do you know when your attempt to improve the writing is an accidentally shaving off? You know, yeah. the equivalent of, more of sort of David's fig leaf, you know, from the sculpture of the writing. Yeah, okay. a more useful metric would be kind of a measure of information content divided by the readability. So you could so yeah. you could measure sort of the, the density versus the, the readability of it. Because you, you could expand that sentence and use simpler terms. What captures mammal better than m- mammal? I, the mam well you could you could use you could say an animal that that that, that nurses its young with with breast with with milk that's so then longer to me it's longer but right. it's simpler right that's oh, but there's easy. but there, no but there's more information because if nothing else there's more words right yeah but there's less but it's the less the the information is now is, less is, dense yeah yeah right but is that desirable it might be if you if 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 it pushes up the reading if it pushes up the readability. So the, but I'm only saying, only mm. if you didn't understand what a mammal was. Yeah. Right. If you understood what a mammal was already, then it's pointless, right? And it's just further noise. Um, this is quite complicated. Um, no, there's, there's there's two things I want to come on to that we've not really touched yet. Um, and the first thing is I do want to talk 
you know, we have framed this as bad writing versus bad reading. Yeah, I want to have a I, go at readers. Yeah, exactly. But they sort of, oh, they're always in for yeah, an easy ride. I, um, but before we do, just one area I want to sort of briefly touch on is obfuscation, right? Because often a lot of, I think, a lot of bad writing is mm. is because the writer um, is really unsure of what they're talking about, mm. okay? And I see this a lot at the moment. I'm actually doing an academic course um, and I... I hope they don't listen to this, but I sometimes feel that my peers on the course sometimes talk bollocks. Any in, any in a, one of your peers who is listening to this, you're not talking about them. <laughs> I'm not talking, talking about, about yeah, I'm not talking about guy. you. I'm not, yeah, yeah, it's not you I'm talking about. You all know who it is. Yeah. 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 And I, I sometimes <laughs> feel... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I sometimes feel they're quite indirect in their language, um, partly because because their work is not good enough. And so they prefer to talk around it a bit more and mm. add more fluff. But also, actually, it's to do with... Is, are they, do they describe their work as exploring issues yeah, around? Because that's always definitely. like... when I, could, I, 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 I Always a red flag for me yeah, with yeah, any yeah. artwork which is supposed to explore issues around whatever it is yeah, this yeah. week. Definitely a lot of that. Or something. And, and I always think, just what is it about? Stop saying it's exploring issues around something and yeah. tell me what it's about. Yeah. Um, well, so I, and I think annoying. the other thing is it, there is a slightly a cultural thing of it's a very um, non-critical environment actually, mm. so and you, so it's you quite, can't really say sorry, this is bullshit. Yeah. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring me show again. Yeah, give yeah. me give me a really clear definition of what this work yeah. is supposed to be. Yeah, and so anyway, so it's a wrinkly of, old man in front of a sign. All right, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so although although some of the work is written like the I mean mainly we discuss you know this is verbal, it's oral, right? And so but I think the same principle of and so anyway my point is sometimes writers try to obfuscate and because they're they're just talking around it because they're just not sure what they're saying really when i used to write about interest rates i used to talk like that anyway let's talk so about you could because because you, you're a bullshitter you can spot the bullshitters is it? I, actually interesting yeah, maybe the evidence is that bullshitters find it harder to spot bullshit which is oh, really quite interesting. yeah but um no, I think bullshit is a sort of thing on its own. Um, but I, I mean, but you're right. I mean, I feel like there is a clear thought is expressible, well or badly. But a bad thought, I don't, is almost inexpressible. Clearly, by definition, yeah, in a yeah, way, yeah. like some... a thought that if somebody isn't really clear what they want to say, I, I don't think that can ever come over in something readable it's always going to come over in something muddy and that and that, that the exercise of writing or harder though i find it i find when i sit down to, to write the report or write parts of the report i will do that early during the research of the project i'll start doing parts of the report because the exercise of trying to express explain to somebody else um in a like a one way non non-conversal kind of way uh in writing what I'm trying, what I'm thinking about, helps me form that thing. Yeah, it's a kind of a proving, a proofing um, process exactly. in itself. Yeah. It's, yeah, sort of yeah. a, it's, a, it's a verification you're to being, myself. If I'm, the interlocutor is being faithful and honest, which yeah, you know, you, well, you, you, yeah, it, yeah, so it helps me verify that what I am trying to describe or do in the in the whatever project it is is actually coherent. If I can get it down on paper in a paragraph, it means to me that that concept is consistent. And uh, and sort of well formed, right? If I can't, then then it tells me, oh, actually, maybe I need to think mm. about this a bit. More. Which shows actually, writing is not just as simple as the writer and the reader, right? It's 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 about more than that. Because in this case, you've described how it described how it's a sort of a process in itself of 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 understanding the issue yourself. Anyway, um, do we want to talk about readers? 
Yeah, we hate those guys. Yeah, horrible Such people. Such a nuisance. That's why I never read. Yeah. Um, go, uh, who? Nick, you kick off. Or, or George. I mean, I want, I, yeah, who wants to go? Let's go with Nick, but I want to bring in Jordan as well. Nick? I suppose I want, what I, I want to get off my chest is the idea that if someone doesn't understand something, it's your fault. I suppose it's something that I, you know, as the writer, I, I think that it, it uh, bugs me, I suppose, as much as um, kind of people who don't think it's their job to write clearly. So obviously, as a writer, you are trying to put a thought down at the thought that, well, it's a bit beneath me having to turn this into polished prose because the thought itself is so good that, you know, I, it's your job to work hard. And I'm, I suppose what we've been saying is actually there is uh, no is, is your job if you think something to work out a way of expressing it as clearly as it can be expressed, even though that might end up still being technical. It might end up being a long, complex sentence. But that might be because the thought is so complex that it can't be reduced any further. To you know, that's fine. But mm. you're, it's your job to get to that stage to get it as polished as it can get. But um, you know, I think readers have a responsibility. Yeah, your job as a writer is not to spoon feed. Well, I mean, maybe. But your yeah, your job as a sometimes things are hard to understand. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, even when you, you know, you you might have to work hard to understand what a thought is saying. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean it's the that's not the same as bad writing, right? So that's so like the principle there is, for example, as a writer, you shouldn't necessarily use words that just to pick a figure that maybe only twenty percent of the population understand. If that word is really spot on for what you're trying to describe because if if someone comes across this word and i guess you could extend that to a concept is it's not a question of i don't understand that word i give up or this is rubbish or this is stupid it's incumbent upon the reader as a responsible reader to go what the hell does that mean go and look it up in a dictionary online whatever yeah yeah, yeah something like that um so i i early i refer to sort of um, assumed knowledge i think also maybe there's a sort of assumed effort that you, you as a writer can assume you know, you're assuming your readers that they are willing to put in a certain amount of effort to understand what you're writing hmm. um, i mean i know it's not the same this is like this is like school right it's like university studying it's the same isn't it it's the relationship between a teacher and students um yeah um jordan yeah the reader has to come to the party as well um and the reader can all, but the reader can also yeah it's it's incumbent on them to make an effort to understand as much as they can from hmm. what they're what they're reading um and also not to misunderstand it as well i think that's the other thing you can have really good writing that is read by a bad reader that pearls kind of before swine it. yeah what yeah. about I, I i've come i i sort of have i've have thought about this previously yeah it's like the there's a sort of naive i don't know how to describe it but it's sort of like it's something like a naive information theory that people who they sort of you remember the, the sort of bluff military types would be like oh you need to we need to do an understand on this Th- those bottom line up front yeah bottom yeah. those people right you, 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 yeah it's 100 words is too long i need it in 10 yeah kind of people it's like well um there's the the, the irreducibility stuff aside uh there's a sort of assumption in those kinds of people that information sort of leaps off the page and into their heads mm. and you can express 
everything they need to know in the marks and symbols on on the paper and that is sort of somehow lifted by some magical process lifted off the paper and creates a new module in your head which mm. gives you a new thing mm. that's not how it works mm. that's you you the, the 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 marks and symbols on the page all they do is provide you a nudge to aid your thinking in a certain direction for you to independently form that concept yourself yes I like which that. is an interesting thought i mean you think about the complexity of a sentence that you can uh, that is really just a bunch of marks on a page yeah and the fact that someone can suddenly create a thought mm. out of um you know out, out of just these marks on the page is really extraordinary yeah. um i was going to just propose a kind of economic model oh god quick quick one here i've got a quick no this is, and i think this explains make whose it, job it is make it quick yeah sorry or not i don't know well it's simply about market power right so and it, we're talking about the marketplace yes of ideas right so if you are the one who has an idea you want other people to pick up so the idea that one should use your brand for example if you're a marketing person yeah it is your job that's your job literally your job and it makes sense that marketing is extremely engageable mm-hmm. but if you are a person with an idea that other people want then I think you can take your foot off the good writing gas a little bit. I, I And so I sort of think, well, actually, you know, if you are the great Nobel Prize winning physics guy. Mm. Now, as it turns out, I mean, if you read like the way that Einstein wrote, for example, it's actually really well written. It's incredibly clear what he's on about. Um, but uh, he wouldn't have to be like, I mean, you know, he's not his job. It's not Einstein's job to make these things as comprehensible as possible mm. because his idea is really good and important and it's mm. your job to understand it and so i, so I guess that's yeah. that's that's what i would i sort I, of actually think that economic kind I of really model like, more or less really like this model and that explains why you get friction in big institutions so thinking back to the intelligence world you have these you've you got the deep subject experts who are just sort of a bit old and crusty and set in their ways but some of them are very good and do have very solid ideas and solid things that they're trying to get across they are at odds because they are not writing in that free market they're writing in an institution where it's their job to write for somebody and make it simple so there's an expectation for it's the fault of the analyst not getting it across well that's really i'm going to take this one step further because what we're talking about it building on that Peter's, I think, he's describing a situation which is analogous to a, to a quite a famous bargaining theory setup, which is um, uh, the uh, mono- monopoly and monopsony situation, which is in the real world might be where there's a mining town with one mine. This is so far away from what I thought we'd be talking about. But go Just on. Get, listen, see now he's he's being. No, no, no. I'm the one with the valuable idea, and you need to do the work to try and understand. No, it you here. need to do the work to make it more presentable. Okay, monopoly. I know what a monopoly Big is. <laughs> Go company. On, keep going, keep going. <laughs> so a monopoly and a monopsony, right? A monopsony What's a monopsony? One seller, which in the oh, okay. which in the context of a mining town might be if there's a trade union. So you've got a trade union which all yeah. the, all the uh, okay. miners work yeah. for, and you have a mine which yeah. is operated by a different guy. Um, and famously, actually, there is not a there isn't a price point. It becomes a, a bargaining situation. Mm-hmm. There are multiple possible prices. And I'm just thinking, you know, you've got, uh, I'm a senior military person. I'm a general. And so normally I'm the one who people are trying to make, 
listen to their ideas like i'm the buyer i'm the monopoly i should have market power here because i'm i'm um i'm the one buying you know these ideas and i can i can choose um and uh you know but then you have your expert he's the only guy in the whole of britain who knows about that particular kind of chemical weapons and he's used to being uh, the monopoly um you know and so you that you've got a, a, a the same situation where actually, as Peter says, that's where you get friction. Yeah, so you've yeah. got the guy. Normally, uh, people come to me because I they expect I can I can sort of you know sell. They'll listen anyway because what I'm saying is important. Military guy. Normally, um, people come to me because they have to make me listen to them. And now you put them together, boom. I have no idea Atomic. what you're talking about. Atomic have, writing explosion. Yeah, I have. I have no idea what you're Don't talking worry, about. Don't worry, Fraser. Our listeners will. Because Good. They're okay, more well, that's the most important. Switched thing. on than you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, there's one thing I just briefly want to touch upon and then finish us off. Okay, um, or put us out of our misery. Um, so far, it feels to me that we've talked about this almost exclusively in terms of of, of factual writing. Actually, maybe mm. that's not been in your heads, but um, but that's how it seems to me. We've not talked about creative writing. We've not talked about novels, for example. And I just want to ask the question, but not answer it, which is: Is it possible to be a great writer and 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 you can't read it? Right? It's not readable. Famously, two words for you: James Joyce mm. or, or Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like I guess you'd say that's readable but bad. Yeah, no, that's kind of the opposite. And isn't James it? Joyce is like unreadable but good. Yeah, yeah. is the yeah. I, I don't. What's that all about? Yeah, we've got no time to talk about. No, but that. that's really interesting. I think that's another podcast, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I've never tr- even tr- I've never even tried to read any James Joyce because everyone says it's so difficult. So I thought I was. I think I might have a copy of Ulysses at home. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just want to throw that yeah, out. Yeah, no, it's interesting it. that writing as art feels like it's governed by completely different rules. Mm. Um, but I don't think that's probably no different to, for example, you know. Um, music as art compared mm. to sound as information or something like if you're trying to create an informational uh announcement mm. that's very different to if you're trying to make a pleasing piece of pop music right so yeah but, but it's interesting that they the rules are so different from what looks actually like a right. superficially similar activity because in theory even with create something creative the the purpose of uh, of a word uh, sorry of text is to pass on information right um, so in theory, it should still be about information transfer, but maybe we just need to step back and relax a little bit and forget about defining the world in terms of information. But in theory, th- that person, the, the author, is still trying to say something. They're still trying to, you know, impart some information. I think you're right. I think we've accidentally opened a can of worms, which yes. uh, are now wriggling all over the place. Let's put them back exactly. for another podcast. Let's. Um, so I want to wrap up. Um, let's finish it off with a question. I want to ask you, um, what is the worst piece of writing that you have come across, but that you still love? Okay. Um, yeah, take that in whichever direction you like. Um, I think I can I kick off. Yeah, go on. So I, I. I wonder if it's if what I've just asked is possible because I love the Richard Sharp books uh, by uh, Bernard Cornwell, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with, um, but they're rip-roaring adventures set during the Napoleonic Wars of a British rifleman. Okay, um, and the reason why I think they're bad writing is they're very formulaic. Um, I I often get mixed up with which books I have and haven't read because they're all the bloody same, um, and it's always the same story. But I love them. 
And I think the reason why I love them is because I guess writing is not, and I'll be interested to see what Jordan thinks about this, writing is not just about crafting a sentence or a paragraph. It's about crafting a whole story, I would say, especially when it comes to um, nonfiction. And I think Bernard Cornwall is a masterful storyteller. Um, he tells great stories. But I just don't think he's that great a writer. Um, and I get excited reading them, you know, and it's always the same. And I guess it goes back to something we talked about many times, which is human love of stories, even if we know what's happening. Um, so that's my answer. I've got an example. Okay. It's a, very, it's a very Peter example. Oh, God. Right. So I don't know how familiar you are, but the the Microsoft um, documentation for all of their products right so it covers everything it covers windows covers azure covers all all the, all the products recently it went through a, a big shift it used to all be produced in-house uh, and it was always as a result sort of lagging behind out of date and sort of quite badly written um it's 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 badly written now in a different way right so now now it's um it's sort of editable by the community so you can you can uh, if you spot something that's out of date, you go to the the GitHub page and you can propose a edit to it. So there's a lot. You've now got millions of contributors rather than just a handful, um, and they they're the people who are motivated to make the documentation right because they're the sorts of people who use it. Um, but now it's it's a hodgepodge of slightly different styles. There is editorial on it, but it is different, and it's just incredibly verbose. Mm. So. Um, and the way the way that Microsoft structures is it all written by Microsoft fans? Not really. It's uh. Microsoft users, technical ones, and but and it's not helped by the way that Microsoft goes about naming its products. So Microsoft goes for a very, apart from the sort of top level banner names like Windows, Azure, they're kind of like they're non-descriptive names. They're just like a, they're like a mini, mini brand. But the, the names of components within that are all incredibly descriptive. So it'll be like, they'll call something called the, you know, the, the button that makes the window open. And that's what the name of the button is. But right? do you like this stuff or not like it? I, well, I, or do you like I the old stuff? love it and hate it because mm. it's, it, the answer will be in there. Mm. It will be in there. But you've got to trawl through so much crap. You've got to work hard it. as a reader. And you've got to work really hard as a reader. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like it. It was a very petery answer. Uh, let's have Jordan. Uh, it's sort of similar, but it's not one thing. But I, um, I do like reading uh, like some brochures of places <laughs> I go. Oh, really? Um, like well, like the stuff you get on the plane, or yeah, stuff on the plane, or when you go to a museum or something, and you get one of those leaflets. Okay, and you just pick it. Up. But they're usually really badly written. Um, but I still I like kind of the same because I just like the information that they get across, even though I know that they're not. There's Good nothing writing. like a bit of crappy copy in an air, <laughs> in-flight magazine yeah. Yeah. written by someone writing something about Tuscany or yeah, know, olive oil yeah. from Sicily. Yeah. You can tell they've never eaten any olive oil and they've never <laughs> been to Sicily, but they've been paid 50 quid to write 100 yeah. words on it. Yeah, I love that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you like it in the moment. Could you read it every day? Could you always, you know... I like it because it fits where you are. You know, you expect a nice crappy magazine in an in-flight, but, but I wouldn't... I could never be an editor of such a magazine. Um... Nick, well, I, I guess bad writing, maybe not. In fact, it's probably good writing, but it's certainly writing that I should hate, which is a cert certain adverts, that, you know, like <clears throat> adverts you get on the tube. There's one that always stands out to me because it's so cynical and annoying 
which are the Jack Daniels adverts they, that they used to have. And they're all this like down home, hokey, yeah. old kind of old Mr. Jack. And he used to do it this old way like we still do in Tennessee. Oh. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, you know, it's cooked up by some annoying marketing executive. Yeah. It, it, it's you know. just pure bullshit. Uh, and nevertheless, I love them. I love yeah. the idea. And uh, yeah, just looking at one now. <laughs> when it came to music, Mr. Jack was one hell of a whiskey maker. And it's like, oh, <laughs> shut up. And, and, the, and the thing is, though, I do, I, you know, it actually is going to make me buy Jack Daniel's whiskey. Yeah. Uh, so that would be it. I think, I think it's because I find marketing so loathsome that I get a kind of guilty pleasure from enjoying the hideous outputs. I suppose it's like, you know, you could you kind of imagine a... Uh, a kind of health food campaigner secretly gorging on a Big Mac. Uh, it's like that with, yeah. with me and marketing yeah, yeah, yeah. cereal. Yeah. I think one day we should delve further into your loathing of marketing. Um, right. But, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> well, folks, let's wrap up there. With our... <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. Um, that was fun. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Jordan Fermanis, Nick Hare, and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.